You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Hi, everybody out there in One of Us world. This is Matt Foster. And I'm Trevor Teacherheo. You may have heard one, the other, or both of us on Screener Squad. Or maybe you heard neither of us. That's not helpful. You can atone if you've heard neither of us by listening to Screener Squad or by catching our show, the Nighthawks podcast. Oh, good save. Yeah, take a seat in the Nighthawks diner with us. Get ready to get to the granular grist of the movies we love. And sometimes the movies we like really hard. You can find us on Spotify, Audible, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and always at nighthawkspodcast.com. Is it early summer that now is the new time for horror comedies? Because Jesus Christ, we have just gotten a whole slew of them in a row coming out. Some ones that I really liked and other ones that weren't just not that great. We saw Werewolves Within and really enjoyed that. We're like, wow, that's a fun, out-of-nowhere horror comedy at this time of year. How unexpected. Luck being what it is, statistically speaking, what have you, I didn't expect that literally the next movie that I was going to review, this film Vicious Fun, which is also a horror comedy dropping on Shudder, was also going to be good. In fact, I was kind of betting on it not being good. I'm so glad I was wrong. Vicious Fun is aptly named. It is fun. And you are often wrong, but this is one of those few times where it's, it's nice that you're wrong. This trailer had too much, like, 80s vibe, like, trying so hard that I was like, please just be half as good as your trailer looks. And it's kind of actually as good as the trailer, I think, where it's just like, oh, there is a good time to be had here, though I think it starts maybe a little rockier than I expected. This is only set in the 80s, so they won't have phones, and the vaporwave isn't pretentious. Well, that and back when everyone still read Fangoria, which here the stand-in for it is a magazine called Vicious Fun, but... Vicious Fanatic. Vicious Fanatic, you are correct. It's not till later when the main character, Evan Marsh as Joel, who writes for this magazine... He is doing an interview with this horror producer, and the horror producer points out, that name is dumb. You should call it Vicious Fun. That would be a better name, which is where this came from. And he's absolutely right. It's one of the only things he's right about. But we do see that Joel is a bit of a shut-in nerd. I mean, I was a horror nerd in the 80s, and even I had friends, at least. I never had a roommate as hot as Joel, that's for sure. He's got like a crazy, insanely hot roommate that he is really, really into. But of course, he is one of those guys who... If he had friends, he would be complaining to them about how he was stuck in the friend zone. This is why he doesn't have friends. He did that and they all left him. Well, back then we didn't. We didn't realize yet that that was a thing. Oh, well, maybe the problem is you, buddy, which it is. (laughs) This movie certainly addresses that. Before we go any further, though, and talk about the adventures of Joel and his vicious fun, let me introduce my co-hosts. I have Ben. I did not wear my jacket from Drive. You have the jacket from Drive? No, I looked for one and, and, you know, I don't have money, so I don't have it. I've seen someone with them and I judged them Etsy is a magical place. (laughs) Matt! Hi, I also am not wearing a jacket from Drive because I am the size of person that does the things pictured in Drive and therefore they do not make one for me. Unfortunately, 
Real gangsters are bigger than goslings. And then Marco. Turns out what's good for the goose was fine for the gosling, but not for me. I am also not wearing a jacket because it's fucking hot. We live in Texas. Also, <laughs> I'm proud to have friend zoned all of you. Wait, you think that we were trying to... Am I, am I using that term correctly? I mean, you're all my no. friends. There's like a little zone I have for just my best friends. Let him have this, Chris. Vicious fun. Joel, Evan Marsh, horror critic. He's kind of depressed, doesn't really have any friends, has a crush on his roommate, who, of course, is kind of oblivious to it all. Uh, she comes home from a date where she sees she's blowing the guy in the car, and he's like, God damn it. He decides, I'm going to go follow this douchebag. I'm sure he's a dick. I mean, the guy's driving like a Trans Am of course, in the 80s. Of course, he's a dick. And follows him to this bar, pretends to be someone else. Goes in there, starts getting drunk. He has no real experience with getting drunk, so he gets really, really drunk. The guy in question, Bob, played by the very sleazy, uh, efficiently sleazy Ari Millen, takes off with some chicks. He's like, okay, well, I guess I'm here and I'm drinking now. So he's partying kind of by himself while surrounded by other people partying. If you know what that's like, it's kind of depressing. And he passes out in the storage room of the place. When he wakes up, everybody's gone except for a group of people sitting in a circle of chairs like a, like Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or something he's like what the hell is that well this group of people most of which are recognizable if you watch a lot of genre films there's fritz played by the wonderful julian richings who i always remember him best playing the grim reaper on supernatural but just this year he was in a really good horror comedy as well that dropped on shutter Hideo, played by Sean Bayek. Mike, played by Robert Mallet. Zachary, played by David Ketchner. Yes. And Carrie, played by Amber Goldfarb, who actually we saw at the very beginning of this movie, murdering a guy in a car who looked like he was about to murder her first. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, if you've ever read The Sandman, you're familiar with the idea of, like, serial killers who like to get together and talk about being serial killers. There was a convention. Here, it's sort of like a 12-step group, if you will, except I'm not sure what they're trying to help. It's kind of a, just an overall support group. How do I be a better serial killer? And he's like, oh, fuck, because he quickly realizes what's going on. And they all sort of, they're different types of serial killers. And he decides, oh, I, I, I better fake being a serial killer. And it's not long before somebody else shows up, the one they say was missing. And it's Bob. It's Ari Millen, the guy who was dating his, his uh, roommate. And he's like, oh, shit. And Bob knows something's up. He runs off, manages to get himself locked inside the kitchen with one of the killers, unfortunately for him. Amber Goldfarb, Carrie, but oh, guess what? Hey, have you ever read the comic book Hack Slash? This is the moment I was like, oh, this is kind of like that comic book Hack Slash, except without the giant lumbering uh, sidekick. Instead, it's a little nerdy sidekick because she likes, and her whole gig is, I kill serial killers. I'm a Dexter. I only kill other serial killers. For a clandestine agency that's never revealed. There's a lot of stuff in this film that are obviously put there to sort of set up the possibility of future films. And I can find that really annoying when it's a movie I don't particularly like, but when it's one I really like, like this one, I'm like, hell yeah, I would gladly watch the sequel to see what happens next here. The other serial killers are trying to hunt them down, which ends in a confrontation in a police station with some very excessive and awesome gore, some really funny sequences, and just... The best police department since Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. All all mustache. (laughs) It's fun. I don't know. I had a good time with this. Why is every 80s set horror movie that takes place in a police station, how come there's only like three cops in there ever? Have you ever noticed in those movies, there's never any fucking, they kind of say, oh, they're all off processing a scene. I'm like, bullshit. This is not a podunk middle of nowhere town, but conveniently there's only three cops because 
that's how many killers you need to take out all of them. They never really establish what kind of town this is. It could be. A, I mean, I'm it assuming could, yeah. it's a total podunk town. And also, it is like, what, three in the morning or something? I mean, the guy closed down the bar, and it's several hours after that. It's not that important. Same thing with the hospital later on. There's like, there's never anybody at the fucking hospital whenever there's killers about. <laughs> well, Marco, why don't you try killing people during banker's hours and see how far you get? <laughs> Well, you know, some of us, Matt, appreciate a challenge. Both those setups, I think, are really there more than anything as a nod of the head to other classic 80s action and horror films. I mean, I I couldn't help but think Attack on Precinct 13 and, of course, Halloween 2, amongst others. None of the nods, of which there are many in this, are the type of nods where the movie stops so they can wink at you. They're more like, if you didn't realize that it was sort of similar to something or referencing something, you wouldn't know you missed anything, which is, I think, the right way to do it. Every one of these killers is obviously based on either a real serial killer or a real classic film serial killer or some combination. You've got the guy who's kind of like Dexter. You've got the guy who's boy next door, good enough to get chicks, but is really evil, kind of Ted Bundy guy. And of course, you got the big lumbering Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers type guy. And I do love how they play to all of those guys' strengths and weaknesses. That guy, he was a character in Jupiter Rising. He shows up in a lot of stuff because he's unnaturally gigantic. He's like an Andre the Giant motherfucker. He's one of those people that they just cast because (laughs) it requires very little makeup, you know? I mean, literally in Jupiter's Legacy, looking at now, he was cast as Big Man. So yes, he's really filling out his archetype there. It was a misdirect, actually. He was a mobster, and he turned out to literally be a big man. So they (laughs) they talk him up for like three episodes, and then it turns out he is legitimately just like seven feet tall. I was really confused for a second, but I realized now you're talking about a different thing. No, I, I love all of these characters. I mean, the way they pull it off, there's a brief moment where once it's revealed what they really are, you kind of get like this quick little montage that kind of lays out their sort of criminal profiles. And I love the fact that the the Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers analog, they're like, yeah, he's brutal, but he's mostly impulsive. He doesn't like the plan. He just attacks random groups of kids, preferably while they're having sex. He's really sloppy. He never cleans up a crime scene. And he always manages to let one girl get away. Yeah, Yeah, which is a great joke. He's the one who's the most on the nose of all of them. Everyone else seems sort of an amalgam of different things because like the guy you're talking about is like the boy next door. He's kind of an American psycho guy mixed with that too. Or he's very smart chameleon and delusional. He's also McConaughey. Got some strong McConaughey energy. And then there's the character who's like Hannibal Lecter, but he's a Japanese chef. So that's not really like Hannibal Lecter, but he's a cannibal. And they kind of mix those things together to create a very new feeling character. And the guy who's like, he dresses up like a clown, but he uses uh, like injections to like paralyze you. So then he can slowly kill you. And he has a 17-point plan for cleaning up a crime scene, which is good to have. He's a very anal retentive serial killer. It's amazing that any of these people lasted 10 minutes in a room with each other without all killing each other, quite frankly. And honestly, to some extent, that does actually start to happen early on in this film. We see them kind of lose their cool when they're challenged quickly, which go figure with a bunch of serial killers. And honestly, talking about the types of killers they put in here and the kind of stuff they go through is kind of the highlights of this movie because it's where it gets 
crazy, including with having Bob dancing to the most electronic song they could put together for Synthwave and just like, for no good reason, having him dancing and the other one's just putting up with it because if I was a murderer, I would have stabbed him halfway through that dance. I don't know about the rest of you. <laughs> Ari Millen, who plays that character Bob, is doing triple time as far as mugging for the camera here and just having a glorious time doing it. And he's kind of a creepy looking guy anyway. He's got the crazy eyes. Yeah, but he can fake it so he looks like the handsome jockey dude, too. So, like, when he goes from, hey, I'm the normal handsome jockey dude to the totally deranged killer, you buy it either way. And every way he does it is so playing it at 11. He's just kind of a delight to watch. Yeah, he's the natural leader of the group. And I do love the fact that we have a protagonist who's very socially awkward because, you know, he would be. But I love the fact that the serial killers are also absolutely incapable of dealing with real life or society except for a couple mainly the bob character whose superpower is that he could just act normal the rest of these guys are kind of clueless and like ben was saying they're ready at any moment to just turn on each other but once they realize that there's like a rat in the room they're like oh shit we all have to pull together and find this kid and of course that's where amber goldfarb comes in as really the action hero lead of the movie. If you're going to go with the other characters or don't really have any development, they're just there to be funny and there's enough about them that make them interesting, but they're not going to change and evolve. Whereas the movie's really about the two main characters coming together, Evan Marsh's Joel and Amber Goldfarber's Carrie, slowly sort of starting to be on the same page. And her, even though, like I said, he's kind of this nerd who's never really found where he belongs, starting to realize that maybe helping this chick is where he belongs. <laughs> I think that's part of my issue with this movie, though, is the beginning feels so slow with him because they don't seem to know how they want to define Joel. It's like, cool, you work for evidently one of the biggest horror magazines going on right now. You're getting interviews with evidently a pretty big director or producer. And then you live in a house in the middle of seemingly nowhere. I don't know where that's you know, area is supposed to be that you can have just come back from an interview with a famous director. And you live with a roommate and you have no charisma. It's like you don't get into interviews like that. Also, the dude clearly annoyed an interview a person because that was a terrible interview. I think they were doing that to make him seem like super socially inept because he yeah, did, yeah he gives a super aggressive interview. And starts criticizing the film he's editing. I do love that this is about a doofus, know-it-all film critic, wannabe screenwriter. And then it turns out that his encyclopedic knowledge of horror films is of absolutely no use to him in this scenario. <laughs> I, this isn't that sort of meta screen thing where he's like, oh no, I've seen this in a movie before. It turns out that he's fucking clueless. None of his information is of any use at all, which I really appreciated because I thought it was going to go that route of, oh, he's going to be the hero and he's going to win because he's seen a lot of horror film. No, he hasn't done anything in his life to prepare him for this moment. I think the subtext here, and that's one of the reasons I suspect it was cast in the 80s instead of the day of the internet. He's a proto-toxic male. He hasn't quite fully become that guy yet, but he's starting to get the tendencies like that thing. Like, oh, I got to like put my dick down and seem cooler than the guy that I'm interviewing kind of insult him. Or like, oh, I'm being friend zoned by this girl. And the movie addresses that stuff, especially in the third act as it goes on. But if it was set in modern day, he'd already be that totally toxic guy by that age, you know, but the internet would have trained him thoroughly how to be that big of an asshole. All right, let's get a final thoughts. Matt, get us started. This is very stylized and it all works yeah. for something with not a lot of big names in it. And technically it's, it's essentially a bottle movie. Most of it happens in one Chinese restaurant. So it's like a deliberately smaller kind of thing. And I was not 
expecting it to just be as fun as it is because it is just somewhat i would call it confectionery but it's a hoot and it's definitely uh worth your time I give it eight out of ten mustaches you must not insult. (laughs) God damn you, Matt. That's what I picked. No one's going to do the mustaches you must not make fun of, but you, sir, you have beat us to the punch. Speaking of mustaches, Marco, you're the only one here who, I mean, technically it's not just a mustache, but it is also a mustache. You must go next. I guess I must. But let's not disregard Matt's mustache there. It's just lighter colored, that's all, but it's there. Shame. No, no, no. I meant the only person other than Matt. So me and Ben had to step back because the mustaches get to go first. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I love the fact that you have a protagonist with an encyclopedic knowledge of a subject. It turns out not to be of any use. He ends up having to rely on the uh, Goldfarb character who is clearly more competent than he is. But he's going to learn quick. My only nitpick about the film really is that while that knowledge of stock stereotype tropes and so forth doesn't help him the serial killers they pretty much act exactly the way you would expect those characters to but it's all done very tongue-in-cheek and maybe if they had been a little more rigorous in that idea of throwing out tropes it might not have been as much fun and i'm all for the fun that this movie has to offer i had a great time watching this i think if you watch it you're gonna have a good time too especially if you like 80s horror films with an ensemble cast, basically three locations, and a lot of style to burn to compensate for all of the other things it may be lacking. These guys really make a whole meal out of a very small budget and a very talented team of artists. I'm going to give this 8 out of 10 Chinese takeouts. Ben? It may not be the most substantial movie, but it knows exactly what it's trying to do. Be stylish, be fun, be creative with some horror tropes, and it really hits all of those notes better than a lot of other things tend to when they try to do this. I think of, like, what was that Netflix movie, The Babysitter? That tries for the same thing, and it, it, it hits sometimes, but this, like, does that a lot better. We've touched on a little bit of the cop scene, but, like, the most bro-y cops you've ever seen in a movie, like purposely made to be like high-fiving like the vegan police and scott pilgrim and it's perfect it hits that note exactly how you want it i do think the beginning drags a little bit but it picks up the pace from there and honestly it's kind of the type of thing that i would and i do subscribe to shutter for i want to see goofy or creative horror movies that i normally don't get to see on other networks and this is the type of thing I'd be like, yeah, if you have Shudder, why aren't you watching this? Because it's fun, and I want a sequel. Him and Goldfarb together are great, actually, and I would really probably watch at least one more of these. So I'm going to give it 8 out of 10 department issue raincoats. You know, this is from a director, writer, Cody Callahan, who actually has a decent amount of experience already. This is his fifth movie. He's already done one antisocial that was kind of a underground hit that had a sequel as well. So I definitely would not rule out the idea of this at some point having a sequel. But this is a guy who kind of knows how to work with a small budget and make the most out of it. And he really, really does. I mean, I didn't even really think about the lessened budget when I was watching this thing. It was just kind of fun. It did have a bit of a slow start, but if only that, man, I don't like this guy. Are we going to have to follow this dickhead? But that's <laughs> what you're supposed to be feeling. He isn't supposed to be terribly likable, but he's not supposed to have crossed all the way over to hateful yet. That's what the point of this movie is. Kill a bunch of serial killers. Don't be a toxic male. It's just that simple. That's the rule. Now you kids know. Stop harassing women. Just find some serial killers. 
I just had a good time. And I think that outside of people who can't take gore, because this does get really gory at points, like excessively. There's one guy who is strangled to death with a set of human intestines. Worth mentioning, not his own. You know, there's a poked eyeball. There's all sorts of stuff that there's, you know, the camera does not shy away from. But outside of people who are super sensitive to that stuff, and even that is kind of cartoony, like almost Evil Dead 2-ish in the way it's represented. (laughs) Then I think either just total horror nerds or people who are casual horror fans are both going to find a lot here to really enjoy. This is one I would recommend wholeheartedly to almost anybody. A vicious fun is a lot of vicious fun, and I'm going to give it eight and a half out of ten road boxes of jujubes. And yes... I would love to see a sequel. There's a lot of like threads that are intentionally left untied. Like she's got a book of people, yeah. serial killers she's killed, and a lot of them aren't marked out. Yeah. And there's one that has a page all to themselves, Mr. Midnight. And she yeah. tells a little bit, what little bit of her backstory we get relates to this guy, but it's still one of those things that's like, so that's never even faintly resolved here. And clearly is just kind of, yeah. well, that's for the, maybe the next movie. Yeah. I'm curious what exactly went down in Utah. That seems to have been a big deal but i kind of miss that oh a lot apparently it's so bad it's something so bad even serial killers are like we don't talk about that that's just they said she came from the utah chapter or maybe it's just that no one wants to go to utah because you know it's utah that's what we want you to think what do you mean we i live in utah i thought you meant you were a serial killer i live in utah